The Earth Wants You is a project of the Church of Stop Shopping, a radical performance community based in New York City. We rely on you. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you want to support our work, and what is our work? We resist consumerism. We resist the military. We resist the commodification of the earth and her resources. Earthaluya people, join us. Revbilly.com. Whoa, my favorite place on earth. Gosh, my favorite place on earth. My favorite place on earth. Boy, you know, I sort of like any place on earth, you know, is pretty good with me. Welcome to The Earth Wants You. The Earth Wants You. It's a project of the Church of Stop Shopping. I'm Reverend Billy here with Savitri D. Killian Sunderman, our producer-engineer figure, as well as the always, the presence of the Stop Shopping Choir. Listen to them. Amen, praise be. A woman. A goat. We're singing a lot with the Church of Stop Shopping this week in particular because it's Earth Day week. We've got the Earth Day at the end of the week, and we're going to be in Boston for that epical event. What is it, the 26th annual? Something like that. Amen. We'll plug that later. We'll be in Bedford. And we've got a pipeline to a billionaire's back bay pipeline to oppose in downtown Boston. This Thursday, we're riding around the block trying to stop the Immigration Customs Enforcement people, ICE, from breaking up families and tearing people apart on the behest of our neurotic President Trump. I almost said President Bush. Trump, hallelujah. We have a wonderful soprano board member, legendary East Village squatter person named Barbara Lee, who will speak with us. We have, this is the 99%. We have the well-known activist Tim DeChristopher, who snuck into an oil leasing auction. He's also known as bidder number 70 because he, was the, he had a 70 on his paddle and he drove up the prices of the pristine acreage in southern Utah. Then they caught him. But, Tim, we love you. Amen. We have, of course, the news from the natural world with Savitri D. And we have our threatened animal that will sing to us, the moss-haired genital-breathing turtle. Amen. <laughs> Is that right? That's right. The news from the natural world with Savitri D. Let's go straight to it. Amen. Hello. Welcome to News from the Natural World. Groups of basking sharks ranging from as few as 30 to nearly 1,400 individual animals have been observed aggregating in waters from Nova Scotia to Long Island. While individual sightings are fairly common, seeing large groups is not. The reason why the animals congregate has not been clearly determined, although it is thought to be related to feeding, socializing, and or courtship-given behaviors in other shark species. The largest aggregation ever recorded on the aerial survey was at least 1,398 animals. Whoa! 
November 5th, Amen. 2013, in southern New England waters, the basking shark, the second largest fish in the world, growing as long as 32 feet and weighing more than five tons. They pose no threat to humans. A new study measuring mm -hmm. gender differences in cooperation and punishment behavior shows that men punish more than women in order to obtain higher rank. And <laughs> punishment by males decreases payoffs for both sexes. Men are willing to punish people who have done nothing wrong except cooperate to the fullest extent possible. Results suggest that status-seeking men are willing to impose enormous costs on others and destroy their own social groups to move up in the hierarchy. Can we say Donald No surprise Trump. there, friends. No surprise there. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is suggesting that federal current emission standards for new vehicles for the model years 2022 through 2025 are too stringent and said it will consider a lower standard. Vehicle emissions are linked to hazardous gases, hazardous gases such as nitrogen oxide and carbon monoxide. Exposure to air that is polluted by these hazardous emissions leads to higher rates of asthma and other respiratory conditions and can increase the risk of cancer and premature death. Vehicle emission standards have helped cut pollution from cars and trucks by about 90% since 1998. 90% since 1998. <coughs> but maybe that's too strange. Is that a, is that a, is that EPA, a positive, finally? The EPA violated the law when it installed a soundproof phone booth for the administrator, Scott Pruitt, at a cost of roughly $43,000. Now, why he needs a $43,000 soundproof booth in the office of the EPA is anyone's guess. Think about it. The Colombian government has signed a decree... The Colombian government has signed a decree that ensures indigenous communities in the Amazon will now enjoy local governance over their territories, 30 years after they first received legal title to their lands. It effectively allows indigenous communities, through their associations of traditional indigenous authority, to execute and administer state resources. It has been welcomed widely by local indigenous leaders present at the signing of the decree. President Juan Manuel Santos acknowledges the fundamental role of indigenous peoples as guardians of the environment during the signing ceremony. He explained that they are the ones, quote, most interested in conserving their forests, in conserving their rivers, in not contaminating. They are our best allies, he added. That is why it is very important to see their autonomy, which today we give them. Oh, bless you for giving them their yeah. autonomy <laughs> with the preservation of our environment. Still, all... The thief All good. gives it back. Listen, this is good news. Colombia has been hit hard by uh, <coughs> war and uh, the, the war on drugs. Less than a quarter of the Earth's land surface has escaped the impact of human activity. And by 2050, experts estimate this will fall below 10%. The, uh, the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services today Warns land degradation will negatively impact two-thirds of humanity and is the biggest contributor to species extinction. Land degradation manifests in many ways. Land abandonment, declining populations of wild species, loss of soil and soil health, rangelands and freshwater loss, as well as deforestation. Wetlands have been particularly hard hit with losses of 87% in wetland areas since the start of the modern era, with 54% loss since 1900. Oh, I mean... I. I can't, I can't go on with that. Well, I'm skipping over. It's too Skip. upsetting. It's too upsetting, okay? The British government has earmarked 61.4 million pounds 
a measly 61.4 million pounds from the public purse to fight the rising tide of plastic in the world's ocean. How much? M- 61.4 pounds, million pounds. <laughs> 61 million pounds. Yeah, not very much. Teresa May announced the fund. Thank you, Teresa. International experts have not been able to find what caused a cloud of radioactive pollution that spread over Europe last year and prompted fears of a nuclear leak. Monitoring stations recorded high levels of a radioactive isotope in the air over most European cities at the beginning of October. Scientists from France said soon afterwards they thought the source was an accident at a nuclear facility in Russia or Kazakhstan, a suggestion dismissed by both countries. A group of experts <laughs> formed to investigate the incident have now decided there was not enough information to pinpoint the origin. Uh-huh. <coughs> uh, the Environmental Working Group has released the Dirty Dozen list, which analyzes uh, federal data on pesticides in produce. 70% of produce sampled had pesticide residues. More than 98% of samples of strawberries, spinach, peaches, nectarines, cherries, and apples tested positive for residue of at least one pesticide. For strawberries, which topped the Dirty Dozen list, about one-third of the samples contained 10 or more pesticides. Monsanto knows this. It doesn't matter. Pesticides contain a whopping 97% of the samples of spinach. So other produce you should avoid or um, only eat organic if you can. Nectarines, apples, grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, potatoes, sweet bell peppers, environmental working group, the dirty dozen. Stay safe. Wash your vegetables and buy organic when you can. Studies of people who work with pesticides and are chronically exposed have linked exposure to respiratory and memory problems, depression, cancer, birth defects, and brain problems. Nearly 207 million eggs from a farm in North Carolina are being recalled from nine U.S. states after 22 people fell ill. The eggs may have been contaminated with salmonella. The eggs were distributed from a farm in Hyde County, North Carolina, which produces 2.3 million eggs per day from 3 million laying hens. Now, I think that's almost the population of Ireland, isn't it, Killian? (laughs) A new analysis of satellite data has found extreme changes underway at eight of Antarctica's major glaciers as unusually warm ocean water slips in under their ice shelves. The warmer water is eating away at the glacier's icy grasp on the seafloor. Eight of the frozen continent's 65 major ice streams had retreated by more than 410 feet per year, five times the average rate of retreat since the end of the last ice age. The warm Atlantic current known as the Gulf Stream is now at its weakest in at least 1,600 years. The findings, based on multiple lines of scientific evidence, throw into question previous predictions that a catastrophic collapse of the Gulf Stream would take centuries to occur. The tiger growled at that Um, news item. So, indigenous Uh. and environmental activist Sa Omu was killed by soldiers with the Myanmar military while returning home from a community meeting to help organize humanitarian aid for villagers. Another environmentalist shot dead. Sa Omu was one of the most active local community leaders pushing for the creation of the Salween Peace Park, a proposed 5,400 square kilometer protected area to be led by indigenous people. Sa'omu, thank you for your work. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your life. Your courage. I hope the Salween Peace Park (sighs) comes to fruition. We thank you. Amen. And that was the news from the natural world. And now let's uh, go to uh, 
Barbara Robin Lee, notorious East <laughs> Village squatter, legend, soprano, artist, model, writer, wild woman, and board member. <laughs> Barbara Robin Teresa Lee, and I'm a soprano in the choir. I've been a soprano since February 2005. Yes, that's how long I've been with the choir, and I love every minute of it. Uh, what is your favorite place on earth? My favorite place on earth? My bed. <laughs> I'm serious. When I'm, I'm, in, when I'm in bed, when I'm tired, after I had a long day of having fun or whatever, when I crawl in my bed and my cats are next to me, I just know that it's time to chill and I'm out and I'm going to go to sleep. And that's it. No better feeling. I've been in a lot of places all around the world, but when I get home to my bed, that's it. What's your uh, favorite song that the Stop Shopping Choir sing? Ooh, that's a hard one. No, it used to be the Beyond song. But actually, and this is something we don't do anymore, the whole Occupy Wall Street thing, the whole thing, the whole like half hour thing that we never do anymore. I love that so much. There's a bunch of songs all wrapped up together, and the one you probably know is um, We Are The 99 Percent. Yeah, that song. I love that song, but there's other songs that attach to it, and it talks about the whole idea of what Occupy Wall Street was about in Zuccotti Park. And it's just really beautiful. And if you don't have it, I still have the recording of the whole thing if you want to hear it.
Occupy Wall Street, right? The Declaration of Occupy Wall Street. Yes, we took it right from the document that the yeah. uh, the committee, word by word, from the General Assembly wrote in Zuccotti Park in the first weeks. <sighs> Those were the days after September seventeenth. I think I think that they published the uh, in mid October. I think it was, it was, yeah. it was kind it was of generally owed something to the Declaration of Independence, but with its own flavor mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric McGregor from our choir was on that committee. I'd like to introduce Tim to Christopher. Tim is a climate activist and co-founder of the environmental group Peaceful Uprising. In December 2008, he protested a Bureau of Land Management oil and gas lease auction of 116 parcels of public lands in Utah, wild public lands. He eventually uh, served 21 months in prison uh, for his action at that auction. Um, and when he came out, he started Divinity School at Harvard, which he has recently completed, and he has founded the Climate Disobedience Center. And he's now, fortunately, located in the Northeast, so we occasionally get to see Tim. And Tim, welcome to The Earth Wants You. We always start by asking um, if you could just describe your favorite place on Earth. Uh, well, well, thank you for having me, um, and, and that's a great place to start um, with my favorite favorite place um for me it, it's uh I, I go back and forth between um a place that was very critical to my early life which was the otter creek wilderness in the monongahela national forest in west virginia mm-hmm. um where i had some some formative experiences uh growing up and and as a teenager I spent a lot of time there um and and also then uh, a later period in my life when I lived out in Utah and and out in the the West Desert of Utah, um, just south of Tooele and near the Dugway Proving Grounds, um, there was a certain hill where I spent a, a whole lot of time and, and a couple years of my life, and, uh, and I can always maintain a, a strong connection to, to that particular spot. In my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the source spots we find, especially in wilderness, that we can like recharge. Almost just imagining them, we can find our way again. Um, for some of our listeners, <laughs> when you say a hill in Utah, <laughs> that could be a big mountain. Are you? <laughs> is it a real, really a hill, or is it a big hill? We got hills in Prospect <laughs> Park, <laughs> twenty or thirty <laughs> feet high. <laughs> 
Well, it's a it's a foothill. It's a foothill uh, of the Sheep Rock Mountains. Uh, so the the mountains just behind it are uh, a few thousand feet taller, but uh, but this particular hill is is just a humble little hill. But it's it was your place. Yep. I have a place in um, in Prospect Park. There's an old growth forest there, and you know what I'm talking about, Tim. We've we've walked. Yeah. Through. Uh, it's an, yeah, we just walked through there. Unusual for an urban. But recently, uh, this is a part of urban life. Uh, recently, a, an environmentalist uh, named David Buckel um, took his life nearby. Uh, just Saturday, I believe, just a few days ago, mm-hmm. and he uh, was our great uh, composter in New York. He ran the biggest compost station in Red Hook and was teaching everybody how to do it on a on a scale that we need here in New York and he left this note pollution ravages our planet oozing inhabitability via air soil water and weather most humans on the planet now breathe air made unhealthy by fossil fuels And many die early deaths as a result. My early death by fossil fuel reflects what we are doing to ourselves. And David um, immolated uh, himself with fossil fuel. Um, They just found his uh, smoldering ashes um, Saturday morning. It, it, it was such a, a bolt of lightning and so eloquent and accurate to the quandary that environmentalists find themselves in right now. The ac- earth activists don't quite know how to call out to the people that the emergency is this serious. It is life and death. We don't know how to be planet criers. We don't know how to run down the street and say, the town is on fire. We have to get out of our houses now. I'm just uh, flabbergasted that this man um, um, decided to take this, this, this route to communicating with us. Mm-hmm. Now we're watching it go through the culture. And I, and I hope that it does go through the culture. Um, I mean, to me, there's a, a lot of layers of tragedy and heartbreak in this story. Um, you know, there's, there's the layers of tragedy uh, that, that motivated David to get to that point. The, the tragedy of what we're doing to the earth, of what we're doing to, to our children's future, um, what we're doing to each other. And and then the, beyond that that heartbreak that that David clearly felt uh, is a further heartbreak of our our seeming ineptitude in doing something about it. Even those of us who recognize that crisis and are trying to do something about it mm-hmm. so often get to that point of feeling like is anything we're doing making a difference? 
uh, and it seems that, that David was, was feeling that, and he got to that point of despair, of, of finally having nothing left to give but his own life, um, and, and made his, his sort of offering to the world, his offering of despair to the world. And, and that's certainly a, an immense tragedy and heartbreak there that, um, that somebody who has these values and, and has this, this passion and this capability to do, to do something about the problems in the world, um, not just environmental issues, but, but the LGBT rights that he spent so much of his life fighting for as well. So successfully, um, I think part of the shock here is that yeah. he had been such a successful activist in his life and that when he turned to earth justice and the crisis of the earth, he he felt he could do nothing. And I know there are a lot right. of people out there right now, Tim, who feel that way. What would you say to them? Um, I mean, I would say, first off, they're, they're not alone. You know, that I think that all of us who do work on this issue um, – frequently have that feeling, frequently feel that, that despair. Um, you know, I can, I can understand why David Buckell would do something like that. Um, but I mean, I think there's a, a further layer of tragedy than um, in the wake of his action. If, if it doesn't have, have an impact and doesn't arouse uh, a reaction, um, you know, when when the Buddhist monks set themselves on fire in the, yes, in the I just, Vietnam. I was just era, thinking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a cultural resonance, particularly within the Buddhist community in, in Southeast Asia, about what it meant to to self immolate, um, and and that act of despair, while it was still an act of despair, had had an impact and did get people's attention. Um, and and meant something to a lot of people, um, you know. And there was the New York Times article about David Buckel. You know, it, it interviewed people around Prospect Park then, and you know, the one guy who was watching the the police clean up Buckel's remains, um, he was quoted as saying something like, um, "It's it's disturbing, and I don't want to have to ever think about it after today." Uh, right. I and, mean, yeah. And I think so much of our society will will have that reaction, you know, that that this is something challenging and we don't want to think about it. And and so I think, you know, we have to we have to honor his sacrifice um with a willingness to to witness to the the pain and tragedy of of our world today. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what, that's what I would say to the, to the people who are feeling that despair and that heartbreak, um, of trying to do something about the ecological crisis and, and feeling like none of our efforts are ever good enough. Well, let's unpack that. that. There, that there is a value in, in the witnessing and Mm -hmm. in, Mm -hmm. in experiencing that pain and that heartbreak. But Tim, let's just go back a minute because that whole concept of success and how we apply it to earth activism in particular um, is so flawed, right? It's so tied to mm-hmm. capitalist notions of productivity and efficiency and you know the low-hanging fruit that you find in the marketplace. And um, 
I mean, I've always encouraged people to continue with their work because first, I mean, at the, at the very least, you don't know what would happen if you didn't do it, right? It's actually <clears throat> not neutral, you know, in either direction. So we, we can say to each other, well, if I didn't stand there with my hand, you know, holding the leak, the water might escape or the dam might burst. We don't know, you know, we can't know for sure. So I think um, we also have to have another metric for evaluating success. Like, what does success look like? So, to you, I mean, you spent 21 months in a federal penitentiary. Um, and a, a few months ago, a lot of those lands, you know, that you worked so hard to protect in your life, you know, were back at auction, right? Um, th that gained protection, lost protection, gained protection, and back at auction, and up for up for lease. So, I mean, I mean, how do you look at the action you took, that incredible action you took as Bitter 70 now through the lens of success? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you are absolutely right that our notions of success are, are corrupted by, by capitalism and so much of the systems that we're in. And I would say they're also corrupted by a, a subtle mythology of immortality um, that that so much of our notions of success, particularly around the the climate struggle, are are based on an outcome in which things are okay in the end, um, and and based on outcomes of saving lives. Mm -hmm. But but the reality is, um, in the end, we're we're all going to die, and and at this point in the climate struggle, the reality is. Um, in, in the end, there will almost certainly be some degree of civilizational collapse. Um, but, but I think that, I think that um, impossible standard of success that we set for ourselves on the climate struggle is related to the, to the impossible standard of success that we set for ourselves in relation to our own mortality, mm. Um, mm -hmm. where, where it doesn't... Um, we, we don't have to have an outcome in the end um, that where everything is okay in order to make it worthwhile, in order to make it ethical right. um, to, to care for one another. That, that our job, our success, is not about saving each other. It's about caring for ah, each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and, I think, and I think a lot of us, when, when a loved one reaches the end of, a, of their lives— that's that's the reckoning that we un, end up having to have. Um, that even even once uh, someone reaches a terminal stage and their death becomes so clearly inevitable, um, we don't we don't stop caring for them, mm -hmm. even though we we now know that they're going to die in in the near term. It still makes sense to care for them, and and our goal, our success is that they can die knowing that they were loved. We're having some and trouble imagining, Tim, uh, the form that caring takes uh, right now. Something about David Buckel's uh, sacrifice um, uh, tore away um, uh, a personal um, uh, um, adjustment that I was making to the level of violence that uh, is coming from not not just the environment, but also 
other kinds of state-sanctioned violence that are um, uh-huh. now this morning, uh, the news of uh, Deontay Yarber in California last week, uh, Saeed Vassell over here in Crown Heights, just we're almost near there right now in Brooklyn. And then before that, Stephen Clark. Um, we just have uh, the the Immigration Customs Enforcement people who are sort of like the neurotic police that come straight from Donald Trump uh, going around picking up uh, principally Hispanic, it's also racial, Hispanic and uh, Muslim people tearing their families apart. It doesn't take much to, to uh, get deported now. You, you can have uh, uh, parking tickets unpaid from... 18 years ago, and some computer remembers that. You may not, but that might be enough, even if you've raised kids and become a pillar of the community. Um, the, the, uh, the, the neo-Nazis marching down the main street in Charlottesville with loaded submachine guns, um, the crazy people c- going into the schools at such a rate. Um, we have something about David's... Um, um, you know his miracle. He he. It's a it's like a it's like it's a little bit like a Christian miracle. It's a Jesus Christ gesture. It's a sacrifice of of self, and um, I I think that David may have been dealing in miracles. He was he was one of the lead attorneys who made it possible for same sex marriage to become legalized, and he successfully um, he successfully uh, prosecuted that sheriff. For not protecting the Brandon Tina, uh, yeah. in in the, the the Hillary Swank character in Boys Don't Cry, he he had made a miracle. That was amazing to to all of us that that happened. And and I think he was going to make another miracle here. And something about what I don't know. Now I'm I'm just in the middle of it. I don't know where it's going. But I became well, aware I, I, of how I, much I, violence is around us. And and I I. I disagree with you on that. Um, that that what he's doing there is a miracle, um, it, or that he is some sort of Jesus Christ figure. I mean, I mean, one, I think that's very dangerous to to say to say that. <laughs> um, but 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 it's also like I think part of what his death reveals was that even though he he was accomplishing important and powerful things in his life like those legal victories that he was very much human that Uh it wasn't a miracle that it was a human being doing his work but that he had the same human weaknesses the same human Mm -hmm. insecurities and and despairs that that all the rest of us have i think that's Mm -hmm. what's important to remember about his about his death that he wasn't a miracle worker that there are no miracle workers that are going to save us from this ecological catastrophe that that is only us flawed human beings mm-hmm. that can work on it in our own ways but that but that we need the support of one another mm-hmm. even even those who are are very smart and powerful people um, you know that that seem like they're working miracles they they still need the human support and connection that everyone else needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the danger right now is that so many people are turning away from the crisis of the earth because they feel so much despair right at the moment when we need to be ever more focused on it and ever more connected with each other in the in the 
in the effort to, um, you know, at least bring some species along with us, right? At least keep these wild lands wild, you know, keep habitat corridors open, you know, stop walls from being built across borders. Um, you know, remember the plants and the, the, the creatures we haven't even discovered or met yet on earth, right? So I guess, you know, I ask you because I, I feel like you've spent a lot of time thinking about these things, you know, how do we, how do we ask people like say earth weekend is this weekend, you know, in a time when there's no good new policies coming when all we can do is hold the line at very best. And even that we're getting bowled over a lot. Like how do we get people out and involved? How do we keep them engaged? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a, it's up to any of us as leaders to, to cultivate that experience for people. Um, I mean, I think different people have different trajectories there. Um, but, but there are a lot of lessons that, that those of us who have been doing this kind of work um, can offer from, from our own experience. And, and for me, um, one of those is, is the need to, to keep trying new things uh, and, and to strike some sort of, of balance between the, the constructive efforts at at building the healthy and just world that we want to see and and the resistance efforts at fighting the the dehumanizing and destructive uh, system that is that is all around us um, the need to, to balance those um, and and that we can um, when we get out of balance, with that um mm. when when we get all on one side or the other mm -hmm. um i think we we lose a lot of perspective um and 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 the need for um a long-term view you know that that um you know we're fighting a long-term crisis with climate change but there's such a sense of urgency that that there's a tendency for us to to focus on a very short time frame in terms of right. seeing positive impacts and and efficacy from from our actions. But I think it, even in the realm of climate activism, that that short sort of short term outcome uh, expectation mm -hmm. is just as counterproductive as business executives that focus on their quarterly profits um, at the expense of the long-term sustainability of, of our society. Um, I think we, we need that longer-term perspective in our work to, to recognize that, that we are part of a, something much bigger than ourselves and, and that we might be at any stage in the process of revolutionary change, that, that we might be just plowing the ground for those revolutionary changes. We might be planting the seeds. We might be watering the seeds that others have planted before us. Um, you know, we, we might be just pulling out the weeds and, and protecting that, that, that new revolutionary change from, from the counter-revolutionary threats. Mm -hmm. um, or, or we might see that, that change flower and, and get to harvest some of the, the benefits of it. Um, we might be anywhere in that process, um, but we'll rarely 
see that whole process through uh-huh. and and be you know from beginning to end just ourselves um we just got a nice uh, comment there from uh susan rubin who's speaking on the despair she said uh, despair is a daily companion in this work action and humor is the antidote i choose to keep it at bay and uh, speaking on that that sort of humor thing, I had a friend two years ago who I was talking to about, you know, just the massive uh, weight of, you know, climate change. And uh, he said that he felt like he was showing up to the site of an earthquake with a, a dustpan and brush. <laughs> and a response to that is to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. To that, yeah. that tragedy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we need a whole new relationship to our, to our despair. You know, it's seen as as this bad thing. Or, I mean, for so often, for so long in the in the climate movement, I would hear people say like, "Well, we can't tell people how bad it really is, or we can't tell people that it's too late to stop climate change, because that'll just push them into despair, and then they'll be paralyzed and never do anything again." But that was, that was never my experience, or the experience of anybody that I worked with. It's not David's experience. David Buckell is 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 saying that it's time to be absolutely straightforward with what's really happening. Well, and yeah. also the practice of life, the practice of life of living a life where your actions are integrated with your values. I feel like for me that's been the antidote to despair is the knowledge that as best as I can, I I mean I'm very privileged to do that that I can live in accordance with my values, um, you know, and, and that's, that's not ethical shopping. That's, um, an integrated life, you know, and I think the other key to despair is going outside. Yes. I think I would say that that's the solution to despair and grief and apathy is to go be outside and understand your scale in the universe, whether that's under a tree or on a hill in Utah or, um, you know, floating, in the deep end of the swimming pool, the, the earth provides and, and the I answer. I agree with that, but but I guess I would argue that that we don't need an antidote to despair. Mm-hmm. We don't need a solution to despair, um, and and that we need to get out of the mindset that says that if we're experiencing despair, then then there's right. this huge problem, and you know that you know that. I think that's what drives us right. to actions like David Buckles. Right. Um, the, the the notion that um, that it, it, despair is this is this crisis problem. Um, I mean, I think despair is a is a heavy weight to carry. And I mean, part of my experience in this movement for a while is realizing that that I just need to make a space in my heart for despair mm-hmm. and carry uh, it with me all the time. Uh, uh. And and that's a heavy emotion to carry, but but I think when in in tranquil times, carrying carrying that heavy burden um, is just something that drags us down. It's it's just a burden. Mm-hmm. But in in stormy and turbulent times, carrying that extra weight of despair is a ballast. Like in the same right. way that that ships in sure. stormy seas mm. will will carry an extra weight to keep them centered, to keep them upright, to keep them on course in in turbulent seas. We are in that turbulent time now and and we need that extra weight to to hold us on course and keep keep us um, with with a proper perspective on our values and the world that we want to see and keep us upright so that we're not just tossed around 
by by these turbulent times. Wow, that's good preaching, Thank Tim. Thank you, Tim. We'll leave it there. Hey, Killian, go go find stormy weather on the <laughs> Let your despair on the YouTube. Let's be a ballast, and we'll get some. We'll get some boats out here and on the God table. Godspeed to you all. Give some visuals to Tim's <laughs> final metaphor there. Tim to Christopher, yeah, thank you so me. much for your um, for your thoughts and your presence. What a feeling uh, you you give to us in this time of of despair, discussing despair when we feel despair. Mm-hmm. Something happens that makes it manageable. Yes, and we're going to see you Saturday. Uh, am I right, Tim? He's uh, will be with Tim us is, on Saturday. Tim yes. is law left. <laughs> we're we'll we're going to see Boston Tim this weekend at the new uh, at the Bedford First Parish of Bedford, Massachusetts. We'll be there Saturday night with the Stop Shopping Choir. Please join us. Uh, Tim De Christopher will be with us as well, um, and we will join a, a historic congregation uh, in a benefit for sanctuary for immigrants um, at risk of deportation. And there's information at our website, RevBilly.com. Please join us Saturday night in Bedford, Massachusetts. This is Earth Day weekend, and um, there's a lot going on. Actions all over the country against pipelines and uh, energy infrastructure of various kinds. We will be at the Back Bay Billionaires Pipeline in Boston on Saturday afternoon. We'll be gathering at Copley Square at 2.30. Monday uh, in Albany, PM, Saturday thousands afternoon. of people are gathering. We hope uh, to to press for a new uh, energy future in New York State. Uh, Governor Cuomo, watch out. They're coming to tell you a thing or two. Uh, find something in your in your neighborhood. And go to Sane Energy. Go get outside. S A N E. Go to weekend. their website. It's in Albany, Monday the twenty third. And now I'd like to just congratulate the great Kendrick Lamar on his Pulitzer. Uh, <laughs> it's a real watershed moment in in uh, American history here to have a hip hop artist get the Pulitzer, and I it makes me just weep with happiness. Well deserved. Well deserved. It's a great artist. Kendrick. We gotta talk over it so as we don't get in trouble. Oh, <laughs> talk over the swear words. Kendrick, uh, <clears throat> just I don't know what to tell you. He's the most serious person I've I've ever seen, <laughs> and he's just mining a deep, deep well of, of emotions and reality and truth. And uh, I just, I couldn't respect him more in his work. Uh, if you is don't he what know you it, call an artist? Know it. Is he an artist? Yeah, he's the artist. Re- reclaiming. <laughs> he's reclaiming he's the, the idea of being an artist. I take him so seriously. And I, I, I take almost no one seriously on this planet. But he's telling us something. Pay attention. I think it's time for Extinction's Got Talent. And today, a miraculous creature... Miraculous. A turtle. A wonderful turtle that lives in the south of Queensland. The moss-haired. The Mary River turtle. Amen. Endemic to the Mary River in southeastern Queensland. That's in Australia, people. This strange turtle is one of several species of cloaca, breathing turtles, which breathe underwater using specialized glands. You know what glands are? In their reproductive (laughs) organs. 
I'm talking genitals. This allows individuals to remain submerged for up to 72 hours. Breathing through your genitals allows you to stay underwater for three days. The Mary River turtle is a large freshwater turtle. I'm going to try it right now. <laughs> it's highly distinctive morphologically and evolutionarily. The only species in its genus, the Mary River turtle, diverged from all other living species 40 million years ago. In comparison, humans split from our closest relatives, chimpanzees and bonobos, less than 10 million years ago. Unfortunately, the Mary River turtle is listed as endangered. Uh, it takes Why? an exceptionally long time to reach sexual maturity. Um, individuals do not breed before the age of 25. And as usual, habitat loss is threatening the life of the Mary River turtle. And as you know, turtles are not loud animals. They don't speak our language we can't hear what they say but we do have a recording of the very river in which those few Mary River turtles live the Mary River and hear the sound of the water Somewhere in that soundscape is the Mary River turtle breathing through its genitals and combing its mossy mohawk <laughs> with its claws. Amen. We have right now the environment in which we live um, accepting violence all around us. And we have the, the we just talked with, with uh, a spiritual worker and political worker, Tim DeChristopher, about the kinds of emotions that we carry walking down the sidewalk all day, carrying the weight of this violence. Now, to, now today, Deontay Yarber, uh, once again, killed in cold blood by a circle of police who have a consensual collective hallucination of what he is. He's an unarmed man in a car that belongs to his family with his girlfriend and, and, and a little uh, uh, child. Somehow that, that constituted a threat and this kind of thing, this kind of story shoots through our communities. It, it comes into, certainly, certainly it comes into our effort to survive in a healthy, in a healthy earth ecosystem in a, with, with the air, the water, and the soil conducive to life. This, this state-sanctioned, legitimized murder of one another 
um, positively defended by our president, uh, it affects everything. And, 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 and now something is collapsing in our society. Something's turning upside down. There might be something positive in it, possibly. Uh, there has to be. Consumerism is now becoming impossible. Suddenly, the main feature of consumer society, which is that we don't do things directly, there is a gap between our desire and the satisfaction of that desire because there needs to be a product that we acquire. That, that, that delay, that six-second delay that exists in consumer society, which is filled with media entertainment, which is filled with, with uh, every, every, every kind of viable experience, which is, which is including, including our most popular item, which is a performance on the blockbuster movies and in the video games of the end of the world. Uh, so much of what comes into the foreground of the, of the consciousness of a consumer is violent. But we, we now no longer have that gap. Now, when we put our hand on something, our hand is really on that thing. Something about our, our violence, our violent atmosphere, the normalizing of violence is making it impossible for us to live in this sort of frenetic vacation of being a consumer. We can't do it anymore. We can't shop anymore. We must pursue peace. That delay is allowing the violence to take place. We have to take responsibility for peace alleluia in our normal lives. Amen. Amen, praise be. Thank you, Billy. Can we do that? Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I, uh, I really enjoyed that show, but is there any way I can contact you guys about, you know, I have, I have an opinion and I want to reach out to you. How do I do that? Well, absolutely. RevBilly at RevBilly.com. And I'm Savitri at RevBilly.com. It's easy to reach us. Go to our website. You'll find a contact button right there. You can reach us on, on the corporate sites. But we prefer a direct connection. I'm not even going to mention those places because I want to hear from you. Savitri at RevBilly.com. Well, I'm a young, hip, cool millennial. Are you guys on those social medias as well? Easy to find us there. You just have to do some combination of Rev, Billy, Talon, Stop Shopping. <laughs> You'll find us in a second. And we'll uh, trade uh, the old-fashioned street address. Our phone numbers are public. We're trying to trust the world right now and invite other people to be what we call direct friends. Yeah, Not through corporations. Let's just trust each other. Let's get know? back to that original media, talking, listening. I talk to you. You listen to me. I no, listen I, to I know you. Some of you the, talk Some to of you me. work for Donald Trump. Some of you work for Vladimir Putin. You'll be contacting us as well. Well, come on in. I got one final question, okay? I really like this episode of the podcast, but I want to listen to all the other episodes. Is there anywhere where this is available online? You can find all of our previous episodes at revbilly.com slash radio. They're all there, or you can go to SoundCloud and again, do that wonderful search, Rev Billy. You'll find it in a second, and it's all there. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>